You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. I'm Dave Hooker. He's Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. You certainly need to check out that site for coverage on the entire nation, uh, the entire NFL, call uh, of college, recruiting, the whole nine yards. But we're going to focus on the SEC today. And unfortunately, we start on a very, very sad note, Chris. Uh, Tragic death, uh, the Auburn uh, voice of the Tigers, Rob Bramlett and his wife over the weekend. Uh, Just a a very, very sobering and sad, sad note as uh, they were killed in a car accident. And uh, it it was was tough to read. And our prayers certainly go out to the surviving members of his family. Yeah, just uh, it's just heartbreaking. You know, it was a it's a tough weekend. You always lose people. We lost Bart Starr this weekend, and you know Bart lived a great life at eighty five, and you know, um, you just obviously an, an an awful weekend where you have a lot of people on the road, and uh, unfortunately around the country there are a lot of people that suffer tragic accidents like this, and um, but just really rocked me to my core when, and I didn't know Rob really, you know, I knew of him, but, and I know being a broadcaster, you know, a great broadcaster for years and years, like yourself, you probably had a really, you know, a better relationship and knew him better. I, I just, the, the thought that both he and his wife would uh, perish in a car crash. Uh, they've got two children. I, I think, I don't know. I think they're, um, you know, they're not young children, but I'm, I'm not sure of that, but just to to lose both of your parents in a tragic car accident at any time, um, you know, it's just way way too soon. Um, you know, it's just 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 tough weekend. Lost Bill Buckner passed away this weekend, and you know, it just makes you think a lot, Dave. That um, you know, particularly in Memorial Day weekend, we we obviously spend that time in a lot of fond remembrances, as we should every day, with people that uh, sacrificed their lives for us and realize the the freedoms that we have and then we probably don't take into account how much um you know we take for granted every day and uh i just uh, i just am shocked and devastated to hear that uh obviously a great gentleman and his um and big part of the auburn family and his wife both i mean is just awful as it is dave for both to to die in a situation like this it's just shocking and uh just hearts and prayers to the whole Bramlett family um, and the old Auburn family. And I was blown away, too, by the amount of people that uh, had so many great things to say about him, him, how he was a mentor. And you're, you're at that stage in your career. He was in his early 50s. He had worked so hard, I'm sure, to get that job. And that's a destination job, I'm sure, for him. And um, just it, it was really it was it was really hard to to swallow again uh god bless the entire auburn family and and for their their terrible loss we'll uh turn there's no good segue to do this but we'll, we'll turn to some football news uh where texas a&m will hire Ole miss athletic director ross bjork to serve in the same capacity what do you make of this move well, uh, you know, first of all, it's uh, it, it just when you have a long weekend like this, and this was something that happened um, a little bit later in the uh, earlier in the weekend, I should say, in Friday, and that um, you know what I make of it is obviously A and M 
can pay a lot of money. Now, Scott Woodward wasn't paid amongst the highest athletic directors in the league, but they can pay a lot. And the resources of having an athletic program like that makes that A&M job very, very attractive. So not only do you get paid a lot, whatever you feel that you need, um, and certainly the budgets that you have for your sports, um, really A&M can, can match anybody's in terms of money. So I, I think that it was considered uh, and, and is considered by most people in the league as a premier job and one in which, uh, you know, Ross has done a, done a nice job, I think, at Ole Miss. I'm not as, you, you know, obviously football coaches and evaluating that's a little bit more of, you know, my speed. Athletic directors are so much involved in the fundraising and that aspect of it that, that it's a little bit out of my field of expertise, quite a bit, actually, to be honest. But Ross has really been a pretty good administrator and kind of handled that um, – that Ole Miss situation, the whole controversy of Hugh Freeze, well, you know, some of the Ole Miss folks didn't like it. A lot of them did. I probably know when there, but good, proven athletic director uh, in your own league. Uh, it says a lot about the, the stick that A&M is wielding right now uh, and to go out and get somebody of this ilk. So I, it, and for his move, I, I completely understand it. Um, the money and the opportunity there, again, with the resources that A&M has, it makes an awful lot of sense. Yeah, and who would have thought 20 years ago that we would talk about the A&M job maybe being as prominent as the University of Texas in that state, but it, it really is. Uh, they have certainly elevated that program over the you, past you decade know, and, or so. And, you know, the, the one thing that A&M has always had, though, Dave, is money, and they, they've yeah. always been willing to spend it. I can remember, you know, I, for to kind of um, to jog people's memories, they had actually, um, for 24 hours, had hired Bo Schembechler away from Michigan. Wow. Uh, Bo, Bo had committed to take the job, and um, he thought about it and, and um, backed out of it. And it was then that A&M um, went to Pittsburgh and hired Jackie Sherrill. And Jackie got a, a $250,000 a year contract um, for five years unheard of money at the time <laughs> unheard of now position coaches make more than that but that was <laughs> yeah. that was unbelievable amount of money the most of anybody in the country so they were throwing a lot of money back then and there's an old joke a friend of mine you know the the Jackie goes and and he starts to tell him what he needs done and he he says at a booster function with some of the big cats he says uh one of the things we were talking about was the uh Kane Hall, which is uh, was the the uh, the uh, the nutrition center that they built years and years ago. They've since updated three or four times, but but before they got that built, they said, "I, I want the best nutrition center, the best shelves, uh, best chefs that we can get, um, unlimited budget for food." And one of the big A raised his hand and said, "Unlimited budget? We'll give them. We'll give you more than that." <laughs> <laughs> they, they were they were all all the, more than willing to spend money. Obviously, the oil money has kind of gone up and down since the seventies, but and the eighties. But uh, no, A and M is certainly uh, fishing in deep waters in terms of money. So they they don't take a backseat to anybody. So we'll see how this move will make. Obviously, this move was um, was uh, predated by Scott Woodard leaving A and M to go to LSU back home, where he was a Baton Rouge native. 
We've got a recruiting report coming up also. We'll step inside the uh, film room and a scouting spotlight as well. But first, we go to Columbia, South Carolina as part of the big lead. A huge, huge verbal commitment. A five-star running back, Marshawn Lloyd. He was considering Georgia, Maryland, Notre Dame, Penn State. How did South Carolina pull this one? Well, really, a lot of hard work. I mean, convincing that kid that uh, he could come in here and be a big factor. Of course, Georgia's got a lot of backs. Um, and really, uh, Texas and Penn State were in the mix. But, you know, Notre Dame was in it pretty good. But, of course, Notre Dame got their big commitment last week, one of the best backs in the country. And I think that all helped uh, South Carolina get uh, Lloyd. He's a really outstanding back. And, um Listen, it's a, take a little bit of while, Gamecock fans, to get a chance to see him on the field, 2020. But um, at some point, I think he's going to be a special back for him. He's the best back they've had coming in to this program since Lattimore. Then we go to Ole Miss, 2019 five-star running back. Jerry and Ely is keeping uh, his options open regarding his future in football and baseball, heading into next week's Major League Baseball amateur draft. Uh, your, your thoughts on Ely and – what are you thinking? Well, he's really an outstanding running back. Um, I, I know that. And I'm very curious to see what happens, of course, with the announcement of the um, the baseball regionals that uh, is heading off this uh, to head towards the College World Series, as you mentioned. Uh, it coincides with the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, everything I understand that he's a really top-notch you know, baseball prospect. How high he'll go will probably determine maybe – some degree of um, of, work, of his decision, but he's a really, really outstanding uh, running back, and they've not had a special type of talent at running back in a little bit of while at, uh, at Ole Miss. So I'm very curious to see, and that's why I wanted to discuss it a little bit, you know, Dave, and that uh, I, I think this is pivotal for that program if, if, if they're able to keep him, if he's uh, willing to at least stay committed. But, you know, um, with his baseball background, there's always going to be a factor as those guys guaranteed money. And it's just, it's just a lot tougher to get to that next level. You know, guys can be really good as you well know, and not uh, maybe not make that transition quite as easy at times, but uh, this is a really talented back that uh, we're going to learn a lot, probably June 3rd when the draft takes place. All right, let's take a trip around the country. You're locked on sec football podcast. Oklahoma, a trio of impressive freshman wide receivers. You know, as um, as I do this time of year, breaking down a lot of the spring practice tape and combining with the with the film grades from last year, um, this Oklahoma offense, I keep looking at it, no surprise that uh, they're going to be good. But you, you think about it, you step back a little bit, and you think about the two quarterbacks they've had, they've had the past couple of years. The talent and Hollywood Browns going to the league. Um, you think, well, maybe it'll be an adjustment. Jalen Hurts comes in. I don't think he'll be quite the passer as the past two quarterbacks that they've had, but this is going to be a good offense. And a big part of it is they do a good job of designing the passing game, and they've got so many weapons. Uh, they've got three, three impressive freshman receivers. Jadon Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, Trey John Bridges, all have a chance to contribute early. Uh, Bridges and Weiss were just outstanding in the spring game, and uh, Hazelwood has also done a really good job. So how much of these guys, and they've got some few guys returning too, but uh, watching these guys, these guys are big-level players that's going to take this offense again and make it one of the very best in the country. So uh, don't feel bad for the Sooners. They're, they're locked and loaded. 
continuing around the country. This one surprised me a little bit. Uh, yeah. Baylor head coach Art Bryles uh, named a high school uh, head coach. I don't know if he'll ever be back in, in college football again, but um, I guess this is the first step of him rebuilding his career after the terrible, terrible situation at Baylor. You know, I too was surprised. And I mean, didn't it just jump out to you, Dave, to think, okay, high school. I mean, here's, here's the thing about it. Um, Listen, everybody makes mistakes. You're accountable for your mistakes. Um, It it is a competitive doggy dog world, but there are certain lines you don't cross in terms of being a head coach. And and there's no doubt that that program at Baylor that he oversaw was corrupt. And there's a lot of evidence that shows that he was very much aware of what was going on. And we're talking about, you know, players that were reinstated after sexual assault issues. You think in terms of college coaching job, you know, certainly high profile, he's not going to get one, but you also don't want a guy like that from a recruiting standpoint to be part of your college program. You also don't think in terms of high school that that's kind of what you want in your community, at least right now, while the, while it's still fresh and the wounds are still, you know, fresh and open. I would have thought that, you know, and this is where he was headed, I thought, to be maybe someone that would work in an XFL um, maybe in Canada doing something in football. I, I listen, I'm all for his ability and opportunity to rehab and, uh, his career, but I'm a little bit surprised. I know people may say, well, Chris, it's off the beaten path. It's not a high profile job. It's high school. Yes, it's correct. But it's also at high school football. And you wonder a little bit if people are looking, um, in Texas and saying, Hey, wait a minute, do, do, does every school, high school in Texas, were were they be excited about having him in their community? I I may be a little bit harsh on that, but I'm a little bit surprised that he was able to to get this job. Uh, listen, I hope that he has learned, and I hope he can be an advocate for doing things the right way going forward. With that said, I'm a little bit surprised that he got back into the the profession from an amateur standpoint, where he has so much influence over young people. Yep, I was very, very surprised. Stay tuned. We'll have a recruiting report. Mississippi State, LSU, and Auburn all making news. This is your Locked On SEC football podcast. He is Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. More after this. You are Locked On SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. It is your recruiting report as your Locked On SEC football podcast is now. Don't forget you can also listen to the Locked On Big Ten football podcast with Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com and me, Dave Hooker. All right, let's get to Mississippi State, a commitment from uh, 2020 linebacker safety to Marion McDonald. He picked the Bulldogs over LSU, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Indiana after making his official visits and Man, he's uh, certainly uh, got one heck of a future, you would think, at State. Yeah, I think he's a very athletic guy that um, I think is a little bit underrated. Boy, he, he moves very well. Uh, I think he turns very, very well. I think he's got a chance to be a really good linebacker at the next level that can cover well in space. So really good get for them. I know 
the profile may look to be, hey, wait a minute, uh, not too many of the top guys, but, you know, LSU, Kentucky, Ole Miss, pretty good, Indiana. I think this kid's a little bit better, and that's why I want to talk about him a little bit. Good get for the Bulldogs over the weekend. Yep, and uh, LSU, a verbal commitment, too, from three-star 2020 offensive lineman Marlon Martinez uh, picks LSU over Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Florida State, Ohio State, and uh, Penn State. It's kind of funny. He's a three-star guy, but had a, a ton of offers from just about anywhere in the country. Yeah, and I mentioned him, too, you know, because I think he's a little bit better than a three-star. I think he's more of a red-grade guy that's maybe a little bit in that next level. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think he's really good. I, I think he's in where maybe people are missing it. I think he's an inside guy. I think that's where he's going to be. I know that's where James Craig, uh, Craig likes him a lot. Uh, who's the LSU offensive line coach. Good get for them. You mentioned Florida, Florida state, Ohio state, Penn state, Arkansas, um, you know, uh, Auburn, as I mentioned, a lot of good programs. I, I think this kid is going to be a really good offensive guard at the college level. And then Auburn with a verbal commitment from four-star 2021 running back Armani Goodwin. Uh, your thoughts on Armani? Well, um, Armani is is got good speed. I think he runs with good balance. Um, you know, uh, it's a good get for them. It kind of fits their downhill power scheme uh, with some good quickness to the hole. Uh, and I know Nebraska and Tennessee, Ole Miss, were some of the others that liked him. He's got really good upside. I think he's a guy that's going to be an early player. Now, it's 2021. And we're getting into that, folks. Kind of pay attention when we talk about it. 2020, I know we, <laughs> the time just runs fast here, but we're thinking, you know, all right, 2020 class, which is the next class that's coming. But the 2021 classes are, you know, we're getting some of those trickling, those commitments into those guys that we keep you up to date with on LandryFootball.com and here on the Locked On podcast. But Armani Goodwin, remember the name, good back but 2021, so we're not talking this class. Yep, absolutely. Let's go to the field room. Uh, I know that you really like Derek Stingley, the Stingley, the cornerback uh, from LSU, just a freshman. We haven't really talked about his, his punt returning ability, but uh, yeah, you think he's a very special athlete. Well, yeah, and obviously spent a lot of time there and uh, just to see him move. Now, Ed... Uh, kind of is throwing out a lot of the Reggie Bush comparisons in terms of return skills. It's built a little differently. I mean, he's, but, but Derek uh, is a guy that is built in a lot of ways like uh, Reggie Bush, his movement skills. I see where Ed's going with it. Derek is a long athletic corner that's going to play early. And I think play well early now, you know, in terms of being able to stay on top of routes and, um, particularly against receivers that can stem their routes very well. That That's all going to be in a, an adjustment period. But I'm going to tell you, Dave, this kid athletically has just got the natural ability that just jumps out uh, when watching him on practice tape, when watching him live in practice. He's 6'1", he's 195, 198 pounds. Uh, this kid's going to play and, and likely start for LSU really early. And I think as a returner, is going to be a big impact guy. I, I think he has some of the qualities that I saw. <clears throat> I'm going to swallow hard here. Patrick Peterson is a return guy. Um, he's not quite as big or as physical, but at the same stage, I think is comparable. Derek Stingley is a guy that is being talked about a lot, and every bit of the hype is warranted at this point. So I'm excited to see what he can do this year. 
then Arkansas freshman wide receiver Trey Knox uh, chance to emerge, you think, at some point uh, at Arkansas. You know, you look at this offense and the importance of this um, Chad Morris offense is, you know, have a go-to receiver. Um, I think Trey Knox can be that guy. And watching and studying him, um, I think he's the most consistent route runner. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, excuse me, of, of the young guys that, that have in that program, he's, I think, as good a route runner as anybody, including some – some of the guys that are a little bit uh, uh, older, I think with the, the guys that they've got coming over, and I'm very curious to see where the quarterback situation settles in, Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle competing for that. I think Trey Knox can be a really valuable route runner and playmaker. He's got some size. I think he is the best chance for them to have a go-to guy in the in the receiving game. All right. Uh, we're going to get to uh... – Georgia junior quarterback Jake Fromm, everybody knows uh, his name. The best passer rating against FBS winning teams in 2018. That surprised me uh, a little bit among the returning uh, FBS quarterbacks. I think Fromm is one of those guys that uh, maybe we uh, don't pay as much attention to just because he's been there, he's been consistent, and he's he's gotten it done for a couple of years now. Yeah, I think the thing that has that, uh, always impressed me about Jake Fromm is that he plays with a lot of maturity, and you're right. A lot of people look and say, wait, you know, Tua's, you know, won the title and came back and led him back at Alabama, and Justin Herbert's got a lot of physical skills. There's no doubt those guys have more natural physical ability uh, and, and are very, very impressive. I think Jake Fromm, from a game management standpoint, and by the way, you know, people take the game management moniker as a negative uh, the best quarterbacks ever are good game managers. I think it's just, well, that's all they are as game managers. That can be a negative. I think Jake is really good at seeing the field. And while I, we talked about Tua a couple of t- days uh, last week, you know, Tua has to do a better job of, I think, checking the ball down and, and maybe making more prudent decisions and not forcing the football I think the things that Jake Fromm does well are things that Tua can get better on. And and, and I think that Tua has maybe more natural skills than Jake. But I, I thought this is really interesting and kind of coming out of this, that the passer rating against winning teams, and I, and I think statistics in college football are certainly less valuable than statistics of the NFL. Now, it's it's what statistics, and we'll get, in that, get into that at some point. I think that's a good topic we'll talk about for our audience, which statistics really matter in college football and the NFL, uh, but you know, particularly as it relates to college football and how it changes. But against the the reason why college statistics are very skewed is because you can play against weaker competition and really inflate your stats against the better teams in the country, um, against winning teams. This guy's done a good job against winning teams last year. He said twenty four touchdowns, just six interceptions. Uh, a little over eight yards per passing attempt. That's pretty good numbers against winning teams. That's pretty good numbers against anybody, but against good opponents, really good. Now, you lose a lot of key guys. Uh, we'll see without Ridley and Hardeman. They've got some good young receivers. The leadership to get those guys ready and what he's doing right now, trying to get those guys up to speed and getting them on the same page, uh, and developing timing with them is going to have a lot to say about how good this Georgia offense can potentially be this year. 
Coming up, it'll be our scouting spotlight. Stay tuned. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. You need to go to LandryFootball.com to check out all that he has to offer. You're going to be blown away with the amount of information on LandryFootball.com. And don't forget our Locked On Big Ten Football Podcast. You can find right there as well or on any platform uh, that you get your podcast. Also, you can go to uh, Locked On Sports website and uh, check it out there as well. So a scouting spotlight up next. We go Georgia, Texas A&M. Stay tuned. We're after this. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. It's a scouting spotlight. Georgia freshman defensive end Nolan Smith. A lot is expected out of him. Do you think he's going to be able to deliver? Oh, I do. Uh, You know, one of the things that we try to do at LandryFootball.com in our notebooks is kind of spotlight a number of freshmen that we think are going to have real impacts this year in college football. And, you know, Dave, we've talked about it over and over again. The, The early entry guys, they're having more of these guys than ever. Nolan Smith jumps out. Of course, the guy that maybe people talk about the most is um, Kayvon Thibodeau, who, who's out at, um, at Oregon uh, big time. And by the way, he's been unblockable um, in, in the spring for them. We talked about a young man out of USC um, last week. But Nolan Smith of Georgia, um, for all the talent that they have, and you think, boy, a guy like this is probably going to have to wait his time. I don't know. This guy is a physical freak. And studying the spring practice tape, this, this kid is um, you know, looking what they have. And, and this kid, in terms of his ability to get off the ball, I think situationally Nolan Smith is going to really be interesting to watch in August to see where, um, you know, not so much just flying up the depth chart. I, I don't believe in all that, that, uh, that, that nonsense, but I think what he's going to do, they're going to find that this guy situationally um, can get off the ball and really cause a lot of havoc. Kind of reminds me a little bit when, when I was involved, I drafted uh, um, Javon curse coming out of Florida and into the NFL and, and, you know, the, the one thing that Javon didn't know how to do, he didn't know how to rush the passer from a technique standpoint. But Dave, he was so explosive athletically that we we did. And and, and one of the things we did is, is we said, look, we've got to get this guy. I told Jim Washburn, look, th- this guy needs to be a factor early. And, and we need to allow his edge speed, um, help him kind of learn how, to work his counter move because people are going to sit on his edge so much because of his speed. It's going to make the spin move a little bit easier to learn. And quite frankly, we don't go to the Super Bowl if it wasn't for, for Javon Curse's early impact. I think from a, a college standpoint, a guy like Nolan Smith is going to have a real impact for Georgia in his ability to come off the ball, uh, work the edge. This guy is special, and I knew that he was good coming out of high school, but the more I studied him and the more I look at what Georgia has, I think this guy's going to have an impact for the Bulldogs uh, this year as a freshman. Another freshman, as our scouting spotlight continues, uh, tight end Baylor Cup out of uh, Texas A&M can provide uh, an awful lot of mismatches. Yeah, you know, one of the things I laugh when um, Jimbo got the job uh, knowing going back with Jimbo years and years when he got the job at AM, I always know his affinity for tight ends and the importance of the running game for Jimbo and being able to have that, that inline wide that can uh, uh, help affect you in the run game. 
but also be effective in the passing game is something that uh, I know he likes. And I said, well, you, you're going to have to – that's one area of the cupboard you're going to have to fill because that's not something that they really did a good job with because of philosophical differences with the previous staff, <laughs> Kevin Sumlin. Um, they, he's done a really good job of developing what they had at tight end of course, Jay Sternberger, he earned his way into the NFL with a good year last year. But remember the name, particularly Baylor Cup, a freshman. He is a big-time mismatch guy. He's approaching about 6'6", 240. Um, he signed with them this past winter, and he is really athletic. And I think he's a big-time mismatch in the red zone. Um, and he's tall. He can go and high point the ball. Uh, I expect him to have an impact. Now, Glenn Beal is the other guy to remember um, as well. So they've got a couple of guys and a couple of more, but those two stand out as potential early impact guys. Will they be able to do everything as effectively as Jimbo wants early? No, but you can you can rest assured that they're going to get these guys involved in the passing game. In particular, Baylor Cup is a guy I wanted to mention is someone um, that we spotlight in the Scott spotlight that that can be a really impactful player in both the run and passing game for the Aggies this year. Well, there you go. That's your Locked On SEC Football podcast for this Tuesday. We will talk to you tomorrow. We'll be with you every weekday, and we'll have the latest SEC news as we go deep into the SEC. When we're talking football, be sure and check out LandryFootball.com. He's Chris.